0: Today uh, we are continuing our series through the book of Ephesians uh, titled Square One. And the heart behind this series is, so we want to just clear a blank slate. So whether you're somebody who has been in church your whole life or whether you are somebody who is here checking us out for the first time, we just want to lay all the cards out on the table and then uh, put the ball in your court on the decision that you want to make. So if you want to know more about us at a church, what we stand for, this is a series for you. Uh, if you're wondering if there is more to life um, than just this, t- just this physical world, uh, then this is a series for you. Uh, if you want to know why we as Christians choose to live the way that we live that's differently than the rest of the world, this is a series for you. And if you want to know more about the state of your soul, what it will be like when you die, this is a series for you too. Okay, so if you are a person uh, this is a series for you. Uh, so before we go into the direction that we're going this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at where we've been. So the book of Ephesians, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles there, we're going to be in chapter 2. Sorry, Graham pulled on this microphone right before I came up here, so it's, you got to fix that a little bit. But um, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by a man named the Apostle Paul. Uh, that word apostle uh, that you see there is um, just just pretty much just means sent one sent by Christ and then Paul is a man who once was a religious leader who persecuted the church, and then after an interaction he had with Jesus, he became the driving force behind the um, expansion of the early church. This letter is estimated to be written around the dates of AD 60 through 63. Uh, The situation that's going on here is that Paul got in a conflict with the other religious leaders of the day. They tried to make it an issue with the Roman government, so Paul is under house arrest uh, waiting to appeal to Caesar, um, and while he's Under house arrest, he chose to uh, write some letters to some churches that were expanding and growing. Okay, so throughout this letter, uh, Paul addresses some major themes that we're gonna see um, that we saw last week, the last two weeks, and in the coming weeks. Uh, The first theme in the start of the book is what makes someone a Christian, okay? Is just saying that you are Christian enough, or is there more to that? Uh, The second part of the book is how should Christians live? Okay? Is there a certain lifestyle you need to commit to? And then the last theme of the book, uh, just toward the end there, is what are some conflicts Christians are going to come into in this world, and then how do you address them through the lens of a biblical worldview? Okay? So in week one, Oren uh, led us through the first half of chapter one, uh, talking about how God chose us before the foundation of the world. He forgave our sin, and he adopted us into his family, and then calls us to live accordingly. In week 2 last week we looked at the apostle Paul praying for this group of believers to receive wisdom and hope as they strive to live godly lives. Okay? This morning we're starting chapter 2 if you want to if you haven't already turned there that's where we're going to be today. Uh, but, uh, but 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 before we get started with that we're going to look at the first 10 verses but before we get there I have a question for you guys. So how many of you by the show of hands have ever wronged somebody before? But, but received forgiveness for it, okay? I'm not talking about, you know, just bumping into somebody and saying, oops, sorry about that, and they're like, no, nope, you're good, and you carry on with your day. I'm talking about you did something that hurt someone you love, and you, but they ended up forgiving you. How does that feel when you get forgiven? Thumbs up, thumbs down, don't really care, okay? So, but also, also on the other hand, uh, how many of you by the show of hands have ever wronged somebody before, but did not receive forgiveness for that thing? Show of hands. Maybe that person held a grudge toward you. Maybe you and that person haven't talked since. How does that feel when you don't receive forgiveness? Good? Bad? Don't really care? Bad. Thumbs down. Okay, everybody's on the same page. That's great. But see, the difference between being forgiven by somebody and not being forgiven by somebody is the relationship to follow. The common denominator is that you apologize. The common denominator is that you admitted you're wrong. The difference is the relationship that follows. Because, see, if you get forgiven by somebody, if you genuinely apologize, you genuinely admit you're wrong, and they forgive you, you can move forward with life with confidence. You can move forward in life with some respect and appreciation for that person. You can restore that relationship. However, if you, if you reach out, sincerely apologize, and um, you, you confess, and you don't receive forgiveness... The rest of the time you're in relationship with that person, there's going to be fear behind it. You're constantly going to be looking over your shoulder because it's just it's just so unpredictable. There's been no forgiveness. There's been no rest. Like it hasn't been restored. Sorry, hasn't been restored. And this this morning, I want to take a look at God's forgiveness toward us. So if we're looking at God's forgiveness toward us, we need to ask the question: Did we do anything? that would, we would need to admit that we wronged God in any sort of way. And if we did do something that wronged God in any sort of way, is he the type that's going to forgive us and lead us to peace? Or is he the type that holds a grudge and you have to live in fear for the rest of your life? I think that this passage does a really great job answering that question for us. Uh, so if you, if you have your Bibles, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, then we're going to break it down the best we can. So Ephesians chapter 2, closing out chapter 1, he talks about Christ's position in heaven. Christ is seated, and he's the name above all names. Then it goes on to talk about us, and it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, "'Carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, "'and were by nature children of wrath, "'like the rest of mankind. "'But God, being rich in mercy, "'because of the great love which he has loved us, "'even while we were dead in our trespasses, "'made us alive together with Christ. "'By grace you have been saved, "'and raised us up and seated, him, uh, seated us with him "'in heavenly places in Christ Jesus.'" so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So this, this is one of those passages that while I was prepping for it, I was like, I feel like I can just kind of read that passage maybe once or twice and close the book, call it good. Like, what more, what more could I add to that or what could I say uh, to not mess it up? But there's some things that I hope that I can point out today uh, that can stick with us outside of just hearing it here in this room. Okay, the main point that I want us to see today is that Jesus brings us from death to life. Jesus brings us from death to life, and there's three ways that I see that play out for us in this passage. The first one is in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and the first thing I want us to see is that apart from Jesus, we stand condemned. Apart from Jesus, we stand condemned. Let's look at the, three, the first three verses again. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and in the sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so apart from Jesus, we stand condemned. And when, whenever I say the word condemned, what I want you to hear in your mind is declared guilty. Okay, the judge smacked the gavel, decision made, we stand condemned apart from Jesus, declared guilty. Okay, so this passage opens up and says, and you were dead. That might throw off some of you because it's like, you know, has anybody in here died before? You know, any, anybody do that? I know I haven't yet, but it says, and you were dead. It's like, what do you mean dead? I've never died before. But what you need to know is that in the Bible, a lot of times, with the exception, with the, of course, with some exceptions, but most of the time, whenever the Bible talks about life and death, they are eternal statements. Okay? It's not just talking about physical death. And physical life, it's talking about spiritual life and spiritual death, okay? So life, whenever you hear life in an eternal perspective, it is life is the result of accepting Christ. Life is a result of accepting Christ, leading to spending eternity with him in heaven. Death, on the other hand, not just dying physically, but death is the result of of not accepting Christ, spending eternity apart from him in hell. Okay, so both of them are the result of the choice that we make. So we were dead, so we defined what dead means, so why were we dead? It goes on to say, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Okay, I've talked to uh, a lot of a lot of people, um, and you know, just asking them, you know, just like trying to get them to think in um, an eternal perspective. And one thing is, uh, you know, like like you know, what happens to you when you die? And some people say, well, I think I would go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person, right? And and that's that's a good thought in everything, but it doesn't take a Christian. It doesn't take a Christ follower to do good things in the world. Un- unbelievers do nice things for people all of the time. It's not one of those things where Christians are nice people and then people who don't believe in Jesus are just absolutely nasty with people all the time. That's not the case at all. Like I, I have one person in particular in mind. He's an unbeliever, but man, if I ask that guy for anything, he will be there in a second. He will drop anything. But it doesn't, it doesn't take a Christian to do good However, God's standard, however, it's not good. Okay? God's standard is righteousness, or in other words, free from sin. And you see how that flips the script just a little bit? Especially because we find in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, There is none who are righteous, no, not one. No one in this world. Can attain righteousness on their own. You might be able to do good on your own, and good for you if you do. But righteousness, which is God's standard, is not something that we can attain on our own. And that, that's why I said that apart from Jesus we stand condemned. And what what what, what I meant by saying that is that apart from Christ we stand before Him guilty because of our sin. Sin, to just give a simple definition to that is missing the mark, okay? If you have a, if you have a, bullse- if you have a bullseye, which is righteousness, we, we never hit that bullseye on our own. We always miss the mark. And it's something we do on a daily basis. And there's several ways that our sin plays out for us in our lives. It's laid out in verses 2 and 3. Take a look at it with me, okay? So you're dead in the trespasses of your sins, um, verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, excuse me among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, So the, the three ways that, are, that sin plays out in our lives and in the world is, number one, it says following the world. What that means is just going with the flow of this broken world system that wants nothing to do with God. You know, it it doesn't really take much investigation. You don't need to get out your magnifying glass to figure out that, you know, the majority of the world really doesn't want much to do with God. All you need is a simple advertisement or maybe an episode of a TV show to show that the world system in general are not the biggest fans of God. Goes on to say, following the prince of the power of the air means being under the influence of the enemy of God, which is Satan or the devil, however you want to call him. You see, all of this influence in this broken world system is not coming from nowhere, it's coming from someone. And that someone is the enemy of God who seeks to steal and kill and destroy. Living in the passions of our flesh means following our own, our natural self-centered human nature that will always, on its own, apart from the influence of God, will go against God's plan for our lives. This goes all the way back to the first two people God ever created. Um, God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God gave them one rule and they broke that rule. And whenever sin entered into the world, it caused separation between God and man because God is, God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. And that's what started this broken world system that we're in today. And what our, what our natural sin nature tells us about ourselves is that we get to be God in whatever situation we think, right? It sin, pretty much any time we sin, we are telling God, God, I get to call the shots in this area of my life. And if we're just left on our own, apart from Christ, those are the decisions we're going to make every single time. We're going to choose to be God of our own lives. And then he goes on to say, we were by nature children of wrath. Man, can't you just like, feel the warmth coming off the page right now? Like, man, doesn't that just make you feel good inside? A, children, a child of wrath? Anybody, like, put that on their resume when they apply for a job? You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to hit you over the head with a mallet today. You know, that's, that's not what I'm up here to do because I'm going to get to the good news in a second. That's just the way that this passage is going right now. But I, I want you guys, I want us, and I want everybody to understand the weight behind who we are without Christ. Because if, if you don't see the need, if you don't recognize the brokenness in our own hearts... Why else would you ever have a need for the gospel? Why else would you give up doing, just following your own plan for your life? Why would you give your life to something if you don't recognize who you are apart from it? You see, the Bible says that apart from Christ, we're enemies of God, and that our good deeds are like filthy rags before him. Man, doesn't that make you feel good? And I realize that some of these statements can be offensive, and you know, some of you might even disagree with me on this one, you know, because you, you don't feel like you're an enemy of God. You're, you're just trying to mind your own business and live your life. Like, I, I, It's not that I hate God, I just want to do my own thing. You don't feel like you're a child of wrath, because you try to do the right thing. And just just hearing that your good deeds are like filthy rags might turn you off to God because it's like, if I can't can't ever please him, why even try in the first place? If it's never going to be good enough, why would I even try? But here's the thing, guys. The story doesn't stop there. That's only the start. I'm getting to the good news in a minute, but in order for us to understand who we are, it has to be through the lens of who God is. God is holy. That's probably something that you've heard a lot. It's something we sing up here all the time. But whenever you hear holy, I want you to think set apart. Okay? So you hear holy, you think set apart. There's no one like him. God is also just, and because he is just, he must punish sin. He can't leave sin unpunished and still be a just God. I've mentioned several times now that apart from Christ, we stand condemned, we're children of wrath, we're enemies of God, and our good deeds are like filthy rags, and if it, but if that's what things are like apart from Christ, then what are they like in Christ? It seems pretty negative without Christ, so is it any better with Christ? And the second half of this passage answers that question. So like I said, the first thing that I wanted us to see was that apart from Jesus, we stand condemned. The second thing I want us to see in chapter 2, verses 4 and 9, is that in Christ, we stand justified. Apart from Christ, we stand condemned. In Christ, we stand justified. So if condemnation means declared guilty, justification means, is declared righteous. If condemnation is declared guilty, justification is declared righteous. Let's look at verses 4 through 7 again. It says, uh, Okay, so we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated him in the heavenly places in Christ, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so going back to verse 4, so we're children of wrath, um, all that negative stuff I said earlier, and does it say, but God... You know, seeing, seeing that we were good deep down. No, it does, it, that's not what it says. So it, it starts with but God. This, this but God right there, those two words, that's one of the biggest turnarounds in Scripture right there. I mean, like, if you, if you don't feel grilled by that, you know, those first couple verses, I don't think you were paying attention to what I just read. But God. So yes, there's bad news. Yes, we stand condemned. Yes, we live in a broken and sinful world that's going to involve pain and suffering. Yes, our flesh is naturally going to do the opposite of what God calls us to do every single time. But God did not leave us there. God did not say, good luck with that one. Sit with that for a little bit. So what did he do? Like I said, it doesn't say, but God, seeing that we were good deep down, it says that he was rich in mercy. And that he had great love for us, despite who we were apart from him. He brought us from death to life by his grace. He brought us from condemnation, declared guilty, to justification, declared righteous. There's two terms that I want to define in this section. One of them is mercy, and one of them is Grace. Because they, they kind of seem like they're synonymous. But mercy, whenever you see that word mercy, I want you to think not getting what you do deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So as we read in, that, in that, uh, those first couple verses, what we do deserve because of our fallen nature is separation from God. That's what we deserve. But because of his mercy... Not getting what we do deserve is him leading us to eternal life by his grace. Grace is getting something that you do not deserve. We don't deserve to have a relationship with God, but because of his grace, because of his love, because he is rich in mercy, we can. And verse, uh, verse six, verses 6 and 7 uh, it says that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and that, that's a reference back to chapter 1 verse 20 it says that uh, Christ whenever he was raised from the dead uh, the father seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places so Christ is seated and we are seated and it's important that word seated because that word seated means that His work is finished. Okay? Regarding our salvation, the work of Christ is finished. There's nothing more that needs to happen regarding our salvation that Jesus needs to do on his part. Whenever Jesus hung on the cross, he did not say 75% done. He said it is finished, and he meant that. Once you accept Christ, you are also seated because the work of your salvation is complete. Now, working out your salvation, walking out your salvation, that's a different conversation for the coming weeks. That's what the whole second half of the book of Ephesians is all about. But regarding your salvation, the work is complete. Romans 5.8 says but that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said in John 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him will never die but will have eternal life. The Son of Man did not come to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Okay, so that's great. We have a, sol- we have a solution. So how are we saved? Okay, apart from Christ, we stand condemned. In Christ, we stand justified. How do we get there? And that's what chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is some of the most uh, powerful scripture that I've read in my life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ. Excuse me. So, grace, as we defined earlier, is getting something that we do not deserve. Faith, as defined uh, by the Bible in the book of Hebrews, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, it, faith is banking on something that you don't see just yet. Faith in Christ, so we're saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ. What faith in Christ means is banking on putting your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 9 says that this is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, because there's some people that teach that salvation is by grace, through faith, plus works salvation is by grace through faith plus baptism salvation is by grace through faith plus giving you know fill in the blank with whatever you want but the equation that we see here in Ephesians not only in Ephesians but the rest of scripture is by grace through faith plus nothing not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Because here's the thing, if there was anything other than God's grace and our faith in him that could save us, we would have some grounds to boast, wouldn't we? We'd be in heaven someday and be like, yeah, I, I 100% should be here because this is what I did. But might I suggest to you that there's nobody in heaven right now and whenever we get there, nobody's going to be saying, this is why I should be here because I did this. It's going to be, I am here because of Jesus and what he did for me. Otherwise, we sang a pretty controversial song, Yet Not I But Through Christ in Me, right? He is the one who saved us, and that's why he gets the glory. In, so it, apart from Christ, we stand condemned. In Christ, we stand justified. The last thing that I want us to see today is in uh, chapter two, verse ten. And what I want us to see is that Jesus defines who I am, which leads to what I do. Jesus defines who I am, which leads me, which leads to what I do. Okay, Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. Look at it. It says, "For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand." so that we should walk in them. I also want to put it this way. Don't miss this. If you're you're drinking your coffee, set it down. Get out your pen. Write this down. Being a Christian is not something that you do. Being a Christian is who you are. Being a Christian is not something that you do. Being a Christian is who you are. You do not clock in and clock out of being a Christian. Okay? You do not have business hours of being a Christian. You are a Christian 24/7. And and so two th- two things that I see out of this is that number 1 God has prepared God has created us on purpose and for a purpose. It says, "We are his workmanship" created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Each person here in the room and everybody in the world is not here by accident. Every single person has been created by God with a unique set of gifts to advance his kingdom. However, each and every one of us must make the choice, are we going to choose to live for ourselves, or are we going to choose to glorify the one who created us? And the the second thing I want us to see out of this verse is that, I I told you I'd get to this in a minute, now here it is. Though works do not save you, works do mark you. Though works do not save you, it's not by grace through faith plus works, It's by grace through faith plus nothing else. Though works do not save you, works do, in fact, mark you. Jesus Jesus said um, in the Gospel of Luke that you will know a tree by its fruit. So if you go outside and there's a tree and there's oranges on it, could we come to the conclusion that it is what kind of tree? An orange tree, right? doesn't really take an expert to know that. You didn't need a degree in plants to figure that out. You saw the fruit, it's like, yeah, that's an orange tree because there's oranges on it. No matter how bad that orange tree wants to be an apple tree, no matter how much it tells you that it is an apple tree, even if it painted the oranges red, it doesn't make it an apple tree because the fruit that it's producing are oranges. In the same way, if somebody says that they are a Christian, but the fruit that they produce is that of an unbeliever. Do we see why it's kind of hard to make that case? It's like you, you know, you know, you say, "Oh my goodness!" There's, there's a story from my sophomore year of high school that this, this just a conversation with a friend just totally changed the direction of my life and in my choices. Um, one, of, one of my best friends, um, he, he's still, not, he's still not a believer, but um, you know, whenever, whenever he's ready. Um, Whenever he finally hits that bottom, he knows who to call. But um, he, one of, my, one of my best friends, he's not a believer, wants nothing to do with God. And one time uh, we were together and he was playing a rap song. I knew all the words of that rap song, right? And he was like, you know, you, you know Ethan, what's kind of crazy? I was like, oh, what's that? He's like, you know, you're, like, you're a Christian and everything, but you, you listen to the same music that I do. And you know all the same songs I know. And I was like, you know, you got a good point there. Because even though my friend didn't want anything to do with God, still doesn't want anything to do with God, he still knew that, you know, you're a Christian. Even though I don't know much about that, you should be different than me. Right? So I can say that I'm a Christian, but then the fruit I'm producing is that of an unbeliever. It's like, so, so what exactly makes you different than me? So what Jesus says is, so trees have the decency to produce one kind of fruit. So uh, we as followers of Christ should really consider that ourselves. James, Jesus' brother, he he wrote a letter as well to some believers. And he wrote that faith without works is dead. Because see, the argument being posed in Scripture is not, is salvation by faith or is salvation by works? It's not faith versus works, it's that faith works. They go hand in hand. It's not faith versus works. It's that true faith produces work. One of, one of the best ways I've heard this put is actually from uh, Pastor Oren here. He's, he, Oren, Oren always says, a faith that hasn't changed you probably hasn't saved you. Right? Right? And that goes right along with what Paul wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. He says, so what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So what Paul says is that the thought that we can accept God's grace, accept the salvation through Jesus Christ, and our lives not change with it, and us to continue living however we want, to continue living the way that we were explained in the last couple verses, it's just an absurd way of thinking is what Paul says. And it totally misses the point of God's grace. God made you on purpose for a purpose to work out what he has worked in you. So Jesus defines who I am, which leads to what I do. And it all ties back to the main point that I brought up earlier that Jesus brings us from death to life. Okay, The band's going to come back up and uh, while they're coming back up um, I want to leave you with something today. So Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 18 he says whoever believes in the Son is not condemned but whoever does not Believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Okay, so if you're sitting in this room and you are a follower of Christ, meaning that you have placed your faith in the perfect life, the death on the cross, and the resurrection from the dead of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you no longer stand condemned, you no longer stand guilty before God. Instead, you stand forgiven. You stand declared righteous before God. You stand justified, and you're welcomed into eternity with him. However, if you're not a follower of Jesus, whether that's by a deliberate choice that you don't want to, or maybe this is your first time hearing this today, we're glad you're here either way. But if you're not a follower of Christ, meaning that you haven't accepted Christ's payment for your sin you do stand before guilty but you do stand guilty before god here at this moment right i I know a lot of times people uh like to like put off eternal questions you know like i'm gonna i'm gonna live for this section of my life and then maybe toward the end i'll give my life over to god but here's the thing guys like eternity you know it's now we could die at any moment right So what Jesus says is, if, if 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 you're not trusting in the name of the only Son of God, you're right now at this moment, not going to be condemned, but you are at this moment. But remember, God didn't leave us without a solution. God's goal is not to condemn you. His goal is to convict you and lead you to accept that free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So cards are laid out on the table, and the choice is yours. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father God, uh, we see in your word uh, who we are apart from you. God, apart from you, we stand condemned. But Lord, you, you didn't see us in our fallen state and just leave us out to try. You chose to do something about it. Even though this world has pain, even though this world has suffering, even though sometimes we'll tend to get mad at you for what happens in our life, you have offered a solution. And God, that, that solution isn't any sort of checklist. That solution isn't, um, isn't any sort of work that we could do. But instead, you sent your son to complete the work for us. So God, I, I, can, I can preach on your word all I can, but it, it is not up to me. I do not have the power to change people's hearts. God, only you can do that. So, Lord, if there's anybody in this room, God, who today does not have a relationship with you, God, I just pray for their heart. Lord, just that you convict them now and lead them to the decision of accepting the free gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that those of us who are saved, those of us who who have accepted your gift, those of us who do stand justified now, we're just that we would represent you well. That we wouldn't be known as a people who put on a face on a Sunday morning or put on a face on a Wednesday night, but people who are consistent in your word at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.